Thank you for joining me for another episode of Empower Apps. I'm your host, Leo Dion. Today, I am joined once again by Steve Lipton. Hey, Steve. Thanks for coming on. Hello. So really glad to have you on today to talk about some more WWDC stuff. I'll let you, first of all, introduce yourself. This is your third time on the show, so maybe hopefully folks know you by now, but I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself again. Yeah, I had lost count of how many times. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm Steve Lipton. I am a uh, author for LinkedIn Learning Courses uh, through my my small company called MakeAppPie.com. And bizoneness.com, I do all kinds of video courses for them, mostly for iOS, but also for SAP Business One, a big business system. Uh, I've been specializing a lot with the front end type of stuff, such as Swift UI and some of the other parts. One of the really cool ones that I've been doing a lot with, which is what I think we're going to talk about today, is Playgrounds. Yeah. That was big. What, what's like your overall thought on Playgrounds this year? I, first of all, I'm looking forward to the beta. So hopefully by the time this episode comes out, the actual Playgrounds isn't out. But yeah, what's your overall thought on, yeah, just using the new Playgrounds for building actual apps? Well, I think just in general, before I even say actual apps, there's things about the Playground as it is now that I think are positives and negatives. I think the update will take care of some of the biggest of those negatives. Number one on my list is the file structure in a playground. It's a toy right now. I use it very heavily as a prototyping device and a research device. I will spend a lot of time literally playing around. If I've got a new API or something that I'm doing to get ready for a recording for, say, my uh, iOS Tips Weekly, Uh, on LinkedIn, I'll work on it in Playgrounds. It's got two positives. I can do that anywhere. My iPad is anywhere, and I usually do it on my iPad. The problems are that when I do that, it's not going to easily transfer to Xcode. App, uh, Apple, yes, that's about the only way. That's that's the dirty trick. I actually did something about that. Um, If you have Playgrounds on a Mac, you can copy and paste from playgrounds on a Mac into your Xcode, but direct file, it, it's weird. If you're using what they call as the blank playground, that's not really a playground. You're actually writing code into a change log. So you have to dig into XML to get your code back out again. You serious? Yeah, I, I am. So yeah, if you ever hit blank, and the problem with blank is Blank is the only one you get offline. There is, if you look under the under the Xcode Playgrounds on an iPad, there is an Xcode Playground. But it's all the way, the very last template for the blank templates. You have to dig for it, and it has to download. So if you don't wow. have Wi-Fi, you can't even get to the good one. What if you've already downloaded it? Does it cache it for you? It some of them will, some of them won't. Because it's iCloud, if it's been sitting around too long, it'll it'll clean it up for you and put it back into iCloud. Okay. Yeah, these are some of the headaches. <laughs> I'm hoping they'll go away. <laughs> yeah. 
Like I've uh, actually done a lot with the playgrounds with my kids. Like they love it uh, yeah. for like playing around, moving the little alien and understanding like programming from the basics. But there's like little hiccups like the Apple crash or just like like all of a sudden it'll say, oh, like we lost your place in the code. Just little headaches. That's like for kids. Like if you have that, like that, that'll just like they'll be like, OK, we're I'm done. I'm going to go play video games. And so it's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's it happens in the real world, too. I mean. Right. Uh, Swift UI has been very frustrating for me with playgrounds. Okay. I do a lot. It's really easy to set up Swift UI with playgrounds right now. I mean, it's your it's your view, and then once you have your view, you have two lines to present it, and that's it. I mean, you import the playground support, and you just say start this one up. Yeah. With the with the singleton. Hey folks, I wanted to let you know about a sponsor of our show, Revenue Cat. If you're doing anything with in-app purchases or subscriptions, you'll definitely want to check them out. Using Revenue Cat to power your in-app purchase infrastructure solves for edge cases that you don't even know you have. It also protects you from outages your team hasn't even seen yet, and it saves you time on future maintenance and features released by the app stores. Plus, it empowers your product and marketing teams with clean, reliable in-app purchase data so they can make better decisions to grow your app. All that is to say, Revenue Cat handles all the headaches of in-app purchases so you can get back to building your app. I highly recommend you check Revenue Cat out at revenuecat.com. Give it a try and see how it can empower your product and help it continue to grow. Thank you, Revenue Cat, for sponsoring our show. Let me ask this. Have you filed any Apple feedbacks on any of this stuff? I filed about 10. <laughs> okay. And like what usually happens with those? I'm really curious. I have heard very little back from Apple on those. Three of them okay. did get fixed that I know of. Uh, okay. I haven't actually gone through all that whole list. I mean, some of them go back way, way back. Some of the Swift UI ones, one of the biggest ones was List. List didn't work. Okay. It, it literally crashed the system. Okay. Tab view still is is really weird. I just was looking at it today, and it, it died on me again. Um, and it depends on what version you're looking at. because And I think this is very often the case, is that some of them are version-based. And okay. so you're going to find weirdness with the individual version. So it's not 100% working. That's one of the things I think, hopefully, Playgrounds 4 will fix is that if you're saying this is going to be an applica- an application development, it will be perfectly parallel to what Xcode wants. Right. I imagine it's going to be stuff like, oh, I need a specific build setting or a specific, right. like when you tinker around with that level, okay, that's where Xcode comes in. But for the most part, if it's just a bunch of Swift code, like there shouldn't be too many issues, you would think, in Playgrounds. Right. I mean, I, I use it all the time. A lot of stuff works great. If I'm doing stuff straight in foundation, I never have a problem. UI kit, usually not a problem. I am a, you know, I, I wrote a course on, on auto layout and I almost, anything I do in UI kit, I do an auto layout and I can do that in playgrounds. So that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, as long as you don't use the storyboard playgrounds works pretty darn well. Okay. But Swift UI in particular, it's, it's been buggy and I'm hoping that'll disappear. Yeah, because I would think like they would want people to 
move over from UIKit to SwiftUI. I would assume that's part of the motivation too. I, I, I assume so, considering the way that right. uh, what what little uh, you know two minutes of a video we got on the new version that seemed to be one of the big things they were pushing was that this is going to be a Swift UI situation that you get a, a live, you actually get a live preview, not just preview like you do now when you have to push the run button, you will actually get a live preview, which would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What else are you looking forward to with playgrounds on the iPad or playgrounds for, I guess. So that file structure thing is of course the big one. I'd like to see, I guess the best way to put this is I'd like to see it grow up. And in many ways, it still isn't there as, as a grown up thing. I think the way that they're going to set up this file structure does solve a lot of those problems. Things like the, the current version of playgrounds. If you add a file, everything in that file must be public. So things like Swift UI that have state and binding in it become nightmares because state and binding have real problems with public. Okay. Uh, uh, so you, you're going to find things like that are still problematic with Swift UI. And, you know, Swift UI is one of those things you should be building small modules all over the place. And right. so right. it ends up when I'm doing playgrounds, I'm going to do one file that has all of these in it, not all the individual modules like I would be doing it if I was doing it in Xcode. Being okay. able to really make true modules that don't have to be public is one of the things I'm really hoping will happen. Right. Right. Because particularly, and particularly with, with the uh, state and binding, uh, those wrappers, wrappers in public just don't work really well together. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And everything has to be public if it's going to see it. So uh, that's another part of the problems that I'd like to see changed is as this file structure, if we're using a true Xcode, file structure of some kind that in place changes a lot of the game as far as the organization of this it's organized as you were saying before i mean it's organized towards byte and his friends and that's really where it is i mean yeah you know the, the cute little alien critters they're great i mean i had a blast with it when when it first came out i took my ipad with me it was the year i went to hawaii I spent the entire okay. uh, flight from Los Angeles to Hawaii writing little code snippets for for those exercises. Nice. So, yeah, they're great. But when you start really working on, you know, it, and it's a lot like many toys I remember when I was a kid. If you remember, for example, chemistry sets or or the 65 right. and exactly one, the same idea. 65 and 1 Radio Shack thing from way, way back for those of us who can remember that far back. <laughs> you know, it's great. You got to put together a bunch of projects like they told you, but the next step where you then move in writing your own code, it doesn't jump very well. It doesn't transition very well. And right. I'd like, and really you need a production environment to do that. And it wasn't fulfilling that production environment. You could take a bunch of different templates, use those, but the production environment thing is a big deal. Now, the thing that absolutely shocked me is that you're going to be able to push this to iTunes Connect. Right. So my understanding with the with the file structure is that it's a Swift package underneath. I don't know if you'd heard that, but like underneath, you can actually build an entire app mm -hmm. using a Swift package in Xcode Playgrounds. Is that what what you had heard from Dub Dub? Um, I think it uses packages. 
I'm not sure if it is a Swift package itself. Um, I couldn't I couldn't figure that completely out myself. It is right. showing yeah. if you look if you go through the slow speed look through the through the video, it is individually mentioning in the navigator individually mentioned Swift packages as it was on on there. So I think you okay. may have to manually load the packages okay. as part of this, but I'm not sure if it itself becomes a package. Okay. Yeah, because that would be interesting to me because you can never really build a full app with a package. Right. You need an Xcode project. Right. And, um, and, and I think for what they were saying, you could push this straight up to iTunes Connect. So I'm assuming it's a real project. I'm assuming right. it's right. going to be something along the lines similar to what's called the, to the multi-platform would be where right. I would think it would be. And that then solves a bunch of problems as far as what you're going to do with that code besides just pushing it up to iTunes Connect. Right. Things like, is this going to be one of the places you can work from when you go to Xcode Cloud? Right. Could you And could you somehow still build a more complex project but not be able to edit the more complex pieces with right. iPad Playground? Right. Because, like, okay, I'd understand, like, oh, I need to just make a quick change to this UI. Can I just open up the Swift UI file and, like, edit it on the Playground and then and – then, either build it or queue it up for a build on Xcode cloud. Right. Right. I think what you're going to start seeing is there are certain things that work very well in playgrounds for development. I mean, in playgrounds right now, it's using the processor itself. It's not building a simulator. So it's just putting it out there, which means you have, I mean, we have an M one on the iPad. Now. Right. Like, I mean, come on, we should got, be able got the to damn chip. But the, the but using the <laughs> chip the is great chip. because you're now seeing a true map. You're seeing a true camera. You're communicating with Bluetooth. All of the sensors, all of the hardware that's on the iPad is completely and directly accessible, which is something you really can't do on Xcode when you're trying to build this stuff. Unless you're building a Mac app. Unless you're building a Mac app. But, you know, if you're doing something like AR, which is probably the ultimate example and ultimate point of this. Right. If you're doing right. something like AR, just get right now, you could do about half of this. And if you really fudged it, I probably could get all of AR to work in Playgrounds. It'd be difficult, but you could probably do it between Reality Composer and uh, a lot of hacking to get the few files that you need to do from reality composer into a, into a file for uh, AR, but you could probably run an AR app now on playground. But if you had the right file structure and you just literally went from reality composer on your iPad or any of the new toys that they're coming out with, where you're going to be scanning stuff and you throw that directly into a, as you just drag that file or import that file directly into that file structure, I mean, yeah. you could get you could get going with AR Kit really fast, and yeah, exactly. in a real environment, so that you could be tweaking that super fast compared to having to do the build and the transfer and seeing what it does, and then going back to the Xcode on the Mac and fixing it. I mean, that's the kind of thing. I think they're going to start seeing a lot of real life scenarios. Well, don't forget object capture too. Yeah, like, I mean, object capture in particular. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. If that works as, as well as they say it does. So yeah, 
Yeah, totally. Hey, folks. I wanted to let you know again about one of our favorite sponsors of the show, AppFigures. AppFigures is a leading platform for mobile app makers to track and grow their apps. It's packed with tools for reporting, optimization, and competitive intelligence. If you're making money with, for instance, subscriptions, then you know you need to stay on top of your numbers. You also know whether it's Apple or Google, they might leave you with a lot to figure out. So luckily for us, AppFigures has worked all this out. By bringing your core metrics to the forefront and calculating key data sets like MRR or churn or whatever stats you're looking for, they can make it easy to understand what's happening and why and give you more time to grow your subscription business. If you're not sure where to get started in analyzing subscriptions, check out their guides or head to appfigures.com to start a free trial and see how much simpler it can be. If you like it, use our special code again, Empower 3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. If you're looking at growing your indie app business or whether you're a big company who has an app in the app store and you need more exposure, you'll definitely want to check App Figures out. Again, give it a try. And then if you really like it, use our code Empower 3030 to get 30% off for the next three months. Thank you so much, App Figures, for sponsoring our show. I wanted to ask more about, uh, have you put iOS 15 on your iPad? I have put iOS 15 on my iPad mini right now. Okay. You're still not like going to put it on your, you have a pro, right? I have a pro. I'm that's probably the next one. Cause the pro is my second experiment unit. Okay. So yeah, my nine, my nine inch, I probably will not put it on cause that's my production unit. And that's where I do all my writing, but yeah, I will probably gotcha. put, I'll probably put it on my pro. This week or next. I haven't gotten around to it. Gotcha, gotcha. Like, one of the things that I find interesting with Playgrounds, too, is whether it's, like, kind of a template for how Apple is going to migrate its pro apps over to the iPad. I don't know. Do you do, like, any, like, video editing on the iPad or any audio editing? I do a little. Yeah. I don't do as much. I mean, most of the time I'm in Final Cut Pro because I get get fancy, but... Right. Yeah. Same here. That's what I use for the show here. It's really interesting to me if like if they ever migrate Final Cut Pro to the iPad, if they take that same pattern that they have with Playgrounds and kind of create like a simplified UI for the iPad that covers 80 percent of your use case. And then any more complex stuff you can just kind of do on the Mac if you need to. I kind of think like that's kind of the pattern they're going to go with as far as migrating pro apps over to the iPad. Cause that's definitely seems like it seems like we got the hardware for it. It's just a matter of moving the apps over. Well, what I can say to that is even if you look at iMovie, a lot of the interface is becoming more and more similar to final cut pro as, as I've seen it progress over time. And I think, yeah, they're going to start paralleling this stuff. Uh, and even if you look at the low end compared to the high end, you're seeing stuff that that looks a lot alike, has the same keystrokes. If you actually have a keyboard, um, all of that stuff is starting is starting to to match more and more. And I think we're going to start seeing things exactly like that. That if we do have an iPad Final Cut Pro, it's going to be looking an awful lot like what someone has with iMovie. And yeah, the files yeah, totally are going to be agree. a lot, a lot more uh, compatible than they already are. Yeah, 
Did you say want to say anything else about the play, uh, Swift Playgrounds on the iPad? I think the, one of the other really exciting things is just the idea that there's going to be more developers that are going to be able to accessible that make this accessible. I mean, uh, Apple is definitely trying to bring out more developers in in areas where people have not been developers in the past. And I think one of the key issues there is pure expense. I mean, (laughs) if if you, you know, okay, Xcode is free, but the iPad Pro to put it on is going to cost you $3,000. Not everybody has $3,000. If this is going to work on a less than $500 setup on iPad, you're going to have the ability to have people creating apps at a much lower price point, at least to get into the, into the thing. It might be just for lack of a better word, a gateway drug, but it's going to start that process where people can actually do it, where, you know, both for school and for just people out there who aren't going to be able to afford those, the, a full Mac or a Mac pro or whatever for those people this is going to be a, another entry into a large set of, of development. Yeah, I totally agree. Like anytime I give a talk to a non-Apple developer group who's interested in Swift, I feel like that's one of the biggest barriers is, A, what computer do I buy? And B, how much is it going to cost me? And then once, like that that to me is the biggest barrier. And I've talked with, with other guests about it and just how like, okay, how much do I have to spend on a Mac? And then how much, like that's a barrier for a lot of people. And and for another thing too, like most people don't have Macs, like just FYI in the real world, a lot of people have windows laptops or windows surfaces. And it's like, yeah, like being able to do swift development outside of owning a Mac. And I understand Apple's business reasons for wanting people to get Macs, but like it's sort of, it's sort of like the Apple TV plus equivalent, right? It's like, or Apple music. It's like at some point you have to let Android users or like, or like windows users be able to access this stuff in order to be like full blown developers. If you want to widen that audience. And I think like, you don't like, obviously like, I think it's fine to have require Xcode for the Mac. That totally makes sense. But for some of this stuff, and you know, we've been I've been talking with some server side developers who are looking at like other tools for building server side Swift uh, on Windows or Linux, and like what IDEs to use. Like, if you want that wide adoption for Swift, like increasing that in any way possible is going to help, uh, and it's going to diversify and make Swift development much more accessible. And I think the iPad's a great way for doing like I- iPhone apps. Um, because like you have that very simple interface, you can actually run it on the hardware and see what it looks like right on the iPad. And if you can just buy a $300 iPad, that's fantastic. Yeah. I, I think it's a great way to get in there. I mean, there's been some people who have tried to, to get around that issue for a while. I always was shocked when IBM was one of the first to uh, adopt Swift and actually have an online uh, REPL to. Yeah, that's right. To, to test some of this stuff. And I was like, you know, given given when you think about the 1984 commercial and who they were talking about, that that was big blue. <laughs> here, here's IBM, who's uh, who's the one of the first early adopters of server-side Swift. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's funny. I was reading one of the posts from one of the IBM guys I met who worked on Katura, and they're like, man, I miss Swift. Like, 
such a great language. And I think like, you know, we've seen some of the great work with like Swift on Windows and stuff like that, where like there's definitely like a desire to get Swift on other platforms and, and widen, like diversify the audience to make it more accessible. And I think like like iPad is definitely a big step in that direction. If you can fully build a decent app with it and publish it to the app store all through um, the iPad, that's going to be awesome. I'm really curious, like what they're going to do with certificates and provisioning profiles. Cause that's always the biggest headache. Hopefully they won't make it any more difficult. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk a bit about Xcode cloud? I don't know a lot about it. I, I've been just trying to think about how it's going to affect the, the entire environment and how people are going to be using it. I'm not, I, I see I'm uh, being an independent developer and being an author, I'm not in the team-based organization that is going to be the ones who are going to be the most to use it. Um, but I can see where it's going to start playing into things. Like having, uh, first of all, the irony, uh, which I was thinking about when they're talking about Xcode Cloud, is, okay, so Apple has Xcode Cloud, and they're the ones complaining that everyone has to come back to the office. This is going to be... <laughs> The ultimate, you know, work at home, uh, work remotely uh, right. tool. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah. uh, okay, th- you you just had the week before Worldwide Developers Conference, this whole thing that you really want everyone back in the office, but you have the ultimate tool to make sure no one ever has to show up at the office anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and you're going to be pushing that to everybody else. Yeah, totally. Do you think that bigger companies are the target or more smaller teams and indies are the target? I think both. I think it's anyone who's going to be multiple. I I think it's not going for, uh, for the indies, but I think it, it's definitely going for, for multiple remote for people who are going to be in in groups that are going to need to work together to get something done. Mm -hmm. There's two things that I find very interesting about it. One is that they're planning a subscription model for the pricing. What do you know about the pricing? Do you know nothing? I mean, all I mean, all is what they said is that it'll be free for a while, and then we're going to start charging for it. Was like okay, interesting. The one line they mentioned about price, but they did mention that they're going to look look at a subscription model for this, which doesn't surprise me. Well, yeah, obviously, it's everything subscription. It's twenty twenty one. Like, yeah, we got to get that sweet sweet services money. I know that some people have already gotten like beta, like their beta sign up and everything. Cause you can sign them for the beta, but like they've actually gotten access, which is awesome. Apple, if you're out there, I love CI, please get me, get me on there. I want to try it out. But yeah, I'm really curious. Cause I kind of, I'm wondering at first I was like, Oh, this makes sense for enterprise. And then some people, some of my guests have said like, Oh, maybe this makes more sense for Indies. And I'm wondering if they're going to do like a tiered pricing system. Cause to attract more small folks while at the same time, like make some serious money off of the enterprise that really need a CI. Mm-hmm. Cause I don't, I don't know how they're, what's like, what's their business model on this. Cause I would assume like you want the widest audience and you want to make the most money. So how do you, do you set up like a tiered pricing system or something in order to attract that audience, but then make, make a serious like profit off of it? Yeah. I could see a tiered pricing easily. Uh, I mean, they're sort of yeah. doing that with everything else these days is if you're below a certain number, we're going to charge you something. We're going to 
do the royalties one way versus another. Right. So I could see the same thing with, with, with this. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, be it per user. If you have for X to Y number of users, you have this price for Y to Z number of users. You have this price. That That's a very viable model. Yeah, totally. Do you, do you, have you worked with CI stuff at all? No, no, I never, okay. I, I, I'm still so old fashioned. I keep to one computer on everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've done GitHub. GitHub actions has been awesome. GitLab has been awesome. I, I haven't done much with like the circle CI and Bitrise um, stuff just cause I don't, I actually do more like Swift package stuff and like, that's not really suited for that. Um, it's more suited for app development. I've, I've heard nothing but good things about those, those CI setups. So I'm really curious about this. I'm curious about tinkering around with it. And so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. What were some of your favorite videos from DubDub this year? Let me think here. Um, I think the accessibility ones, actually, they were really pushing. Uh, they did it last year too, but I think this year they, they were definitely, uh, they were broadening the accessibility while they were talking particularly about visual impairment last year. This year, they were definitely saying accessibility is, first of all, part of your business model. You're, you're losing business. And, and they were definitely pushing that point if you're not covering right. everybody. But yep. where they're talking about accessibility includes sensitivity to a lot of different issues, be it abilities or gender or nationality. So they were putting all the different pieces of localization and the accessibility parts for various types of abilities, whatever it may be, and bringing up some of the issues that some of these things are curb cuts. And just because you may be putting in an issue for people who are visually impaired, that visual impairment issue may also play into someone who wants to use it with CarPlay. Exactly. Yeah. Cur- curb corner. I like that. I totally got that reference. Yeah. There's actually, it's actually a phrase called curb cuts that, uh, it, curb cuts. Yes. And, uh, it, they, they actually in design, they talk about curb cuts is things that were originally meant for some form of, of disability to, to fulfill the disability at, act. And in doing so, there's these whole bunch of other people who end up advantaged by it, be it, you know, baby yes. strollers or people with grocery carts or whatever. I want to find, they had a really good piece on like, gosh, I got to find the link. I'll try to find it for show notes, but just talking about how be careful, what kind of wording you use and how you use yes. humor. And uh, if you find that link and can add it to the show notes, let me know. But it was really good. Cause it like, it covered stuff about like using the right language when you're talking to like, women versus men and uh, things like that, that I've talked about with some of my colleagues, especially when it comes to like recruit recruitment and like having diverse recruitment and how we have to be careful what kind of terminology you use and things that you don't even think of as, especially as me, a white male. Um, But like, I'll, I'll try to put a link to that in the show notes, but there's really, really good guides from, from Apple as usual when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, did you check out the accessibility on the watch video uh, talk? No, I didn't get a chance to get to that one yet. Yeah, I, I haven't either. We should have done that before this recording. <laughs> but I know I know they had a preview video a couple of 
couple of weeks before WWDC about, I think it's going to be stuff that comes out in seven, four or seven, five. I've lost track of what, what OS watch OS is on, but the stuff where you don't have to touch the watch, you can like flip your wrist and you can move your arm in order to do certain actions as opposed to having to touch your watch. I don't know if you've seen any of those videos. No, I haven't. But that looks as, that would look cool. like speaking of accessibility as somebody who sometimes doesn't have both his hands available to him because he's holding something or holding a kid. That sounds awesome. Like, cause I think it was stuff like clenching your fist and how you use your hand. It can detect that and use that as an input on the watch instead of touch. That looks awesome. Like I want to, I want to definitely try that out in the next, next version of watch OS, because like, that's one place where I wish the watch would be more accessible is because I got a timer going off and I'm holding a plate of food and it's like, crap, like I got to use my nose. We've all done that before, right? But I'm looking forward to trying out some of that stuff as well. I'll post a link to that video. Yeah, that's that's definitely really cool. Hey folks, it's that time again. The best Swift developer event in the known universe begins. At least that's what it says on the website, but it is an awesome event. If you heard John Wilker on our previous podcast episode, you know I'm talking about 360 iDev. This year, they're going to be doing something a little bit different with a hybrid event. You can choose between three different tickets, an in-person attendee, online attendee, and the in-person all-in, which includes a continental breakfast, conference Wi-Fi, amongst other things. 360 iDev is one of the strongest communities out there when it comes to iOS, Mac, and other Swift development platforms. And they've been serving the community for, gosh, 12 years now. They've come a long way. They're not done being awesome and helping the community thrive. And they're going to crush it in 2021, just as they did in 2020. So you'll definitely want to check it out. Joe Chaplinski, who spoke in a previous episode about subcontracting, will also be their keynote speaker. And I know from the Release Notes podcast that he is a solid speaker and he's going to bring a lot to the table. I'm really looking forward to hearing Joe speak. So I highly recommend checking out 360 IDEV this year, August 22nd to 25th in Denver. Or if you need to, they have an online ticket as well if you want to go that route instead. Listeners of the podcast can get 25% off registration by using the promo code EmpowerApps. Again, 360 IDEV is this year, Denver or online, between August 22nd to 25th, with, I know, a great selection of speakers and a really great way to find others in the community and throughout the world. Get your ticket today and sign up, and I look forward to seeing you there. Yeah, one of the other things I was looking at the watch, we've talked about this before, is there's more hints about what they're going to be doing with blood sugar. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, they did actually put up two or three different places in the, in the uh, pla- I think it was in the platforms. I don't remember if it was in the platforms or it was in the original keynote where they were talking about the watch. And as things flew by in the background, one of the, uh, in one place, they actually had blood glucose monitoring as one of the boxes summarizing all the changes they're having. And the second one was showing an actual alert. Your blood sugar is low Okay. at one point. And I don't remember where they were. It was in the one of the keynotes of the platforms, and I can't remember where it was. But it surprised me because this the hardware still isn't there. Is it just using hardware that someone else made? Or are they going to get some so, rough... Yeah. 
I mean, they've been working on it. So if they're going oh, yeah, some- sure. They're going to have some rough hardware that can at least give a, a general range. And if things go too low on a range, then then it'll give you some alerts, which seems to be the way they do things. They're doing that with the heart rate stuff is where it's not a true medical device as much as it is a warning system. Yeah. So right. that might be where they're going with this. With But I found that also very interesting with the watch. What do you think? What year do you think we'll have a watch with blood blood glucose monitoring on it? We may have it this year or next year. I, you know, they're usually so secretive. Really, I they're so secretive. I usually would hide that stuff. But the fact that you see two places where it popped up this early, yeah. But I think you could just put out Bluetooth hardware. I mean, it could like, be just Bluetooth hardware hooks up to the watch. I, I think that's all right now. Like, I feel like. There's too much of a, it's not just the technology, it's the bureaucracy of it too. Like making sure you don't put something out and then some government's like, yeah, you can't enable that in our country. Like I could totally see that as being an issue. I think we've got a couple of years based on, so I do read watch rumors and it doesn't look like there's going to be a new medical stuff in the next watch. I could totally be wrong. And they might just be, I think I've heard it's just going to be another screen change, like a change to the, to the. Uh, screen size and shape a little bit like but like i don't think we're gonna get a lot of medical stuff this year and i would say yeah i think it's gonna be watch eight at the earliest that we'll see it the other thing they could do is they could put the hardware in and just not enable it in the os until they feel comfortable enough too so they could always go that route right yeah i think part of it is is again how medical devices get approved and if you can consider it a medical device in the first place if you consider it a fitness device you're under an right, right. entirely different set of trade laws. And medical devices right. in particular, in particularly in Europe right now, are an absolute nightmare and a pain to deal with. So they're going to try right. to dodge that bullet as much as they can. Here in the United States, yeah. there's something called the Novus, which allows for completely brand new stuff if it's not really going to be a high-risk issue. So if you're doing rare, you know, broad ranges and stuff like that, not specific numbers where you could approve it on that level and it's not necessarily a medical device, but it's getting to that point. And then you start getting enough data from all the other people who are using it to say, okay, yeah, this is our clinical trial is, is our live right. data. So, I mean, there, yeah. there's all that stuff still thrown out there. So, I mean, there's lots of stuff that could happen. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Did want to point out about the watch. What I was surprised at is how little improvements it had. I mean, I was I was <laughs> expecting another round of complication improvements, and I did not see another round of complication improvements or finally getting a watch background view to start change for uh, developers to start changing that background. Yeah, no, totally. I was expecting that as well. Like there was. Just- like, okay, TVS didn't go get anything. So let's not forget that. But like watch OS was like nothing. Like, yeah, what did we, what did we get? It certainly wasn't worth an episode recording. Let's, let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Like there wasn't much of anything. Like I even, oh, it was a couple of new workout types, right? We got Tai Chi and Pil- like a new Pilates thing, which I'm surprised we didn't have those ahead of time. And then more like user features on the watch, but that was like it really. And I don't think we've had like last year we had Swift UI complications, right? 
And the year before that, we had Swift UI. But like, there really hasn't been a watch OS year in quite a while now that I think about it, right? I, and I, and my feeling about Swift UI complications is it's moving towards that gold, that holy grail of uh, custom watch faces. Well, what I want is I want better watch faces so that you can put cooler Swift UI complications. Cause like the watch faces we have are really limited. Like they said that people use the photos watch face. And I was like really surprised by that. Cause I don't, I don't like I have kids and I have photos of my kids on my phone, but I'm not going to put a photo of my kid on the watch because when I look at the watch, I want data. Like what's the weather, what's my activity level, what time it is. So I use like, whatever it is, uh, modular infographic, like stuff like that, especially digital too. I want more of those kind of watch faces where I can put a lot of data on it and just look at my watch. And like, there's really only one or two on there. Like, that's what I want. But instead we get like stuff that's more like aesthetic, aesthetically pleasing, which is nice, but that's not like what I want on my, my Apple watch. And I don't know if I'm in the minority and then once you open that can of worms, then you could add more complications and have more cool Swift UI complications. And you start touching closer and closer to the custom watch face that we all want. And that's like my big disappointment, I guess, with this year. Yeah, mine too. Mine too. I, that was one of the things I said, oh, it's not there. That would have been the next logical step. Unless it's going to be, ne- the, as you said, it may be all going to happen in 2022. I really hope so. And maybe if they do change like the screen size, that will be part of it is like, Oh, we've, we've made the screen size even more edge to edge. And like, now we have more watch faces for more complications. Maybe, maybe that's why they've delayed it a year. Right. Yeah, right. Good. Maybe hopefully before we close out, you're going to be a speaker at, well, more than a speaker, you're putting on a workshop, right? This year yeah. at 360 iDev. Yes, I am doing a workshop on uh, on widgets, and we're going to learn how to uh, all the basics of widgets and how widgets can be put on your phone. Which we were just talking about complications; they are essentially the the complication of of the phone and the iPad. And we'll talk about how they all fit together and how to use them effectively. Yeah, exactly. And we have a uh, I highly recommend attending this conference this year. It's both remote and on site as well. I have a promo code in the show notes. Uh, look down there where you can sign up and get uh, a discount. So definitely want to check that out. I highly recommend this. I will be speaking on getting started with server side Swift, which I'm excited about and scared because I know a lot about server side Swift and doing a getting started talk is going to be a really interesting experience for me. Um, but uh yeah really glad to have you back on steve thank you so much for doing this no no problem i i enjoyed it and i'm looking forward to your talk because i've never done anything on the server side i spend so much time on okay. user interfaces yeah if you, well you've done some server side stuff right i haven't done it like a outside long of time <laughs> a long oh, time okay <laughs> does sap count does that count as server side uh no, i don't they won't let me touch it oh okay <laughs> i wish i would <laughs> I just got rid of a vendor because they wouldn't let me touch it. <laughs> Where can people find you online, Steve? They can find me online at Twitter at Stephen Lipton. And you can also find me on LinkedIn, which I'm sure in the show notes, you'll get the link down there. And uh, you can, that's probably the two best places. My website is makeapppie.com, which will have lots of important stuff on it as well. 
Yeah, and definitely check out Steve's videos. And I am definitely looking forward to your workshop this year. That's going to be awesome. I'm curious how they're going to, how John's going to do that with remote folks Uh, like me. (laughs) It's going to be interesting. I haven't talked to him about how he's going to do these workshops yet. (laughs) Folks can find me on Twitter at Leo G Dion. My, I'm on Twitter at Leo G Dion. My company is bright digit. Please take some time to post a review on Google podcast or Apple podcasts or Spotify, wherever you are, subscribe and like the video. And also, if you could take some time and fill out that survey we have, links in the show notes. I'm uh, looking forward to getting some input from my audience as far as how the show is going. And get that ticket to uh, 360iDev. Fantastic conference. Can't recommend it enough. Thank you so much. And I look forward to talking to you all again. Bye-bye.